addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Let me see if we can get this changed here. Here we go. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested. First, let them serve as deacons then if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise, there we go. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Deacons each be the husband and wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, and you may be seated. I have a feeling our mic is about to die. The text before us, 1 Timothy chapter 3, is an interesting passage because as we consider deacons, I think it's important for us to have just a little bit of history. You see, the word that we find, and we're going to look at this here in just a few moments, but the word that we find in Acts chapter 6, which is normally the reference to where you find deacons, is actually not the word, the noun for the office, which is the office of deacon. It is the verb. It's a verb meaning to serve, essentially. And so 1 Timothy chapter 3 is one of the first places that we actually find the term or the office of deacon being presented to the church. And in this case, of course, it's being presented to Timothy. It is interesting that Paul does not address deacons, though, to the second pastoral epistle that he writes, and that's to Titus. But we do find in Philippians chapter 1, Paul addresses the church at Philippi. It was actually the only book that he writes that is that has no negatives in it whatsoever. And in Philippians chapter 1, he addresses the letter to the elders or the overseers and to the deacons. Now, let's go to our first slide here. Biblical deacon, this is what we are looking at today. We looked at this when we were considering elders for the last couple of weeks. And up here at the top, of course, you have the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. He is the only head of the church. There are not two heads or three heads or four heads. There is one, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. I've shared with you before, what does it mean to have pastoral or biblical authority? The only authority that I or any other pastor ever has within a church is the authority that is found in God's word. That's it. There's nothing additional. 
So for example, if you go to a church and the church tells you that you can't wear a certain style of clothing, or you can't have a TV in your house, or if you're a man, like in many churches uh, down in different parts of the country, you can't wear wire rim glasses, or you have to wear a white shirt and a tie and a suit on a Sunday. Those are man-made traditions. Those are, those are man-made rules that are put in place for whatever reason that we put those in place, but those are not biblical. Those are not biblical qualifications either to be a Christian or to serve in some kind of capacity within the local church. So then after the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the leadership. Now, of course, for those of you who are new, we are going through a transition period here in 2023. And the transition is basically this. We have gone from a full congregational uh, uh, decision-making body, if you will, to one where we are elder-led, deacon-served, congregation-affirmed. Now, I believe that this is a much more biblical structure that we find within the New Testament and that is that the spiritual decisions within a church are tasked to those who have oversight, to those who are elders. This is not deacons. This is those who are elders. Underneath this structure, down to your left, you will see the, the servants, which are to assist the elders, are deacons. Now, we're going to consider this, and it's important for you to understand, a deacon is not a glorified janitor. He is much more than that. He is a complementary ministry that is just as necessary within, I believe, within a local church as what elders are. And then over to the right, you have the sheep. Now, we are all sheep under Christ, but a spiritually gifted congregation, how many of you are not breathing this morning? Can I see your hand? Okay, I just wanted to make sure, okay? So if you're breathing this morning... Psalm 150 verse 6 says, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Now, part of our praise, the word there is yada. Part of that, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you non-Baptist this morning, all right? So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to raise both hands. Come on, everybody. You can do this. It's not. See, that's not as hard as you thought it might be. Okay, you can put your hands down. The word yada here in giving praise to God actually means to lift up holy hands unto God and to serve and give him praise. So when we're talking in the Psalms and we're saying give praise to the Lord, uh, some of the young people, maybe some of you who are a little older might remember, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. There we go. Okay, so you remember it. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. 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 Praise ye the Lord. Now, see, that really isn't that difficult, is it? Now, just as it is that easy to be able to give praise to God, so too you and I should be serving within the community, within the local construct of a local church in order that we might be able to exhibit what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Everybody has different gifts. Some people may clean the church. Some people may straighten the chairs. Some people are going to preach. Some people are going to be able to teach the word of God. Some people may just be giving to like the pastor's bucket that we have here up front. 
Some people one day might be willing to go and serve on a mission field somewhere and say, Lord, use me in life or by death, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, whether I live, I am Christ, whether I die, I am Christ's. This is what Paul is talking about here when he is talking about the importance of not just elders, but of deacons. The task and the responsibility is not just up to me. It is not just up to those who we eventually have as elders or deacons. Now, within this construct that we find within the local New Testament church, you're going to find that there may be some here who serve as deacons, and then one day they may end up serving as elders. There are going to be some who may serve as elders who never serve as deacons. But ultimately, we are all to be servants of the Most High God. Look at verse 13. We're going to jump around just a little bit in this passage this morning. What does it say? For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So when we have deacons... Not only are these deacons who have served in the past, like Brother Sam and, and Brother Diego, not only are they tasked with doing a certain job and doing it well, but to be able to do so gives them great confidence in the faith that they have that is in Christ Jesus. You can't do this job on your own strength. You have to do it based on God's word. Let's go to the next one. Deacons. This right here, if you miss anything else this morning, don't miss this. Deacons, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. They're not talking about following the pastor. Follow Christ. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is a deacon. A deacon is a servant. A deacon is one who is willing to do whatever God has for him within the local church and to be able to do so knowing that only God ultimately gets the glory. What a deacon is not. The biblical emphasis, before we get to what a deacon is not, the biblical emphasis on the leadership of the church is not on the organization itself. As I've already shared with you in Acts chapter 6, we don't actually have the office of deacon being given at that point. It just talks about those who were servants. It talks about the seven men who were actually selected. But there were apostles, and then there were those who assisted them. In the epistles, there are elders with deacons, and we find that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has now instituted this office within the local church, whether it actually occurred in Acts chapter 6 or whether it actually occurred later on, it is now a part of the New Testament church. It is important to note that in both cases, spiritual qualifications of the leaders and workers were emphasized. I've shared this with you before, but when I pastored in California, for we were there, I think, for about two and a half years total. And during that time, I served at a community church. It was Baptistic uh, congregation. And four of the six elders, I was one and then one other man, four of those men had never, ever made a profession of faith in their entire life, but claimed to be elders. 
One of the men was 81 years old, and he told me in no uncertain terms that he had been called to be an elder of the church because he was a multimillionaire and the church needed his money. One of the men sat at a at a at a uh, an elders meeting and reached over and took his finger and thumped my Bible. He says, "Now I've never read that book." This is an elder. I've never read that book, but I want you to know if what you're telling me and what you're preaching on Sunday is that God only saves people who are sinners, and if we don't do things God's way that we're going to go to hell, then I would rather God send me to hell so that I can have a party with my family. In the first century, a plurality of godly elders led the church. But there was a problem that quickly arose. You see, whether it took days or weeks or a few months, the sin of favoritism had reared its ugly head in the church. This is essentially what was happening. The Jewish widows in a predominantly Jewish church were being well taken care of, but the Greek widows were being ignored. It was bringing shame and it was actually bringing division within the church because some were being looked after very well. In fact, Paul addresses part of this problem in 1 Corinthians when he says, you gather together for the Lord's table and some of you are bringing steak and potatoes and other people are eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. That's Mark's paraphrase, by the way. This is what's happened in the early New Testament church. Some people were being taken care of and some weren't. So what deacons are not before we look at the scripture from 1 Timothy 3? Number one, they are not a ruling executive. Anytime that we seek to change God's guide for life, we will end up making wrong decisions in our homes, in our families, in our jobs, and in our churches. God does not design, has not designed the New Testament church to be run by those who are called to be just servants. Secondly, we find that a deacon is not a building manager or a property manager. We mentioned this. A deacon is not a glorified church janitor. Yes, part of a deacon's responsibility is the care of the building, but it is not limited to mowing lawns. It is much, much more valuable, much, much more important than that. Thirdly, some of you may have never heard this word before, but a deacon is not a church factotum. This word simply means one who operates in every area of church life. This ultimately grants too much authority and diverse responsibilities into the hands of deacons when it is not their responsibility. For example, it could be counseling. It could be spiritual matters pertaining to the teaching of whatever material is being presented to you as a congregation that is never given in scripture into the hands of a deacon. Now we do know, for example, that out of the seven who were found in Acts chapter six, there were actually two of them that do actually have the gift of teaching. And we do find them teaching Philip, for example, and Stephen. Do you remember what happened with Stephen? He's been made a deacon. He hasn't been a deacon probably all of a week or a month. And he ends up getting stoned at the end of chapter six. The Bible never speaks of a deacon who is responsible for any preaching or spiritual matter within the local church. I remember serving in one church and I was told that I did not have the right to be able to pick and choose what Bible verse I was going to preach on a Sunday. 
I was told that by the deacons. Not the deacon's responsibility. Instead, actually, I think I missed one here. I did. A deacon or a servant is a minister of mercy. Listen, this is a book that we are using that I have chosen to use to be able to help instruct and guide, use it as a guide along with the scriptures in regards to those who will be deacons or those who will be elders or who will be presented to the congregation. Alexander Strzok is an elder at Littleton Bible Chapel down in Colorado. And he wrote a book a number of years ago entitled The Minister of Mercy. Listen to what he says. Quote, deacons are to be involved in a compassionate ministry of caring for the poor and needy. It is an absolute necessity that the needy, poor, and suffering of our churches are cared for in a thoroughly Christian manner. There's a reason why we have a hospitality team here. There's a reason why if you need help with something, if, if whether, whether it, it doesn't matter what it is, but if you've got something that we as a church body can help you with, you have the responsibility of letting us know so that we can be a blessing to you. Jonathan Edwards, pastor from the 1700s, said this, quote, I know of scarce any duty which is so much insisted on, so pressed and urged upon us, both the, in the Old and New Testament, as this duty of charity to the poor within the congregation. Strzok continues to shame, though, many congregations as he continues by saying this, quote, churches spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, even millions, on buildings, draperies, pews, and stained glass windows, but can barely squeeze a thousand dollars out of their budget to help their own needy people. God has given deacons a wonderful ministry of service, mercy, and love to needy people. Indeed, deacons are to emulate our Lord's example of humble, loving service to needy people, end quote. When we give, whether it's here, whether it's in our OCC boxes, whether you're giving money in the offering basket, it doesn't matter where you give it. If you give it, you are giving it as unto the Lord. I don't ever want us to be accused of being more concerned about a building, a new building, grand equipment, whatever it may be, if the only way to be able to get that is going to be at the expense of giving to missions. God doesn't bless a church like that. So we consider the word usage within the New Testament. We have the first word here is diakonos. This word simply means servant. It's actually a transliteration of the Greek word for deacon. Diakonos, you can see the word there, is deacon. But it is not a title. It does not actually reflect what we find within the New Testament. For example, the word serve can mean anything from serving, like a volley in tennis, to the activity of a criminal who serves a term in prison. I think we would do well to get back to a biblical term of serve, and it simply means to be available for the master's use. That's it. God is the one who sets the term. I've used this example before. In the New Testament, we find the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, and even later on, Paul says, I am a bondservant, a doulos of Jesus Christ. You know what he's saying? 
He's saying, God sets the standard. God has the mold. He has put me in that mold. He can use me any way he wants to. I don't get a say in the matter. That's where we are at. Further meaning, the word Greek term likewise here describes a variety of activities, but the root idea within the classical Greek is to supply the need of another person. It actually describes the activity of a faithful servant Let's go, we've gone through these here. My apologies, we're working on it. Means to stir up the dust. <clears throat> A faithful stir servant stirred up the dust in cleaning the house to meet the need for his master. And one who did not literally stir up the dust was not considered to be thorough, was not considered to be faithful in cleaning, and was not considered to be a faithful servant. We'll let him worry about that. Secondly, on your handout, kinds of service, and I do apologize, I've actually got them right here. A couple of you men would like to be able to help. I will get it together here. <laughs> kinds of service within the New Testament. Number one, we have general service. John chapter 2, verses 5 through 9, in the account of the wedding at Cana of Galilee, the word diakonos is found in the plural here, and it is used referencing those who served the tables. Now, here's a very interesting question for you to consider. I wonder how many in churches would be willing to aspire to be a deacon today if the title or office was actually called server of tables or even dust stirrer. That, that doesn't sound quite as grandiose as deacon does it. But that's what the Bible calls them. One who stirs up the dust, one, one who serves tables. So not only was there general service, but there was a spiritual service. And, and the first thing that we want to see is that it was done to promote unity. Christ's prayer for unity is answered when faithful deacons by their service in the church encourage unity in churches in the world. Our deacons should be encouraging us to take care of buckets like this. Our deacons should be encouraging us, hey, we have a need for a family who's just lost a loved one. Let's prepare a week worth of meals for them and to be able to provide that to that family. But you see, unity is much more than that. Unity is being willing to gather together, knowing that Christ is at the center, not somebody's ego. Listen to John chapter 17. Jesus Christ is praying. This is actually the true Lord's prayer. And in verse 20 through 23, we read this. Jesus is saying, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And there he is praying for you and me. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me 
that they, <coughs> excuse me, may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Hold your place there and look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible tells us that God gave some. Some of these giftings are no longer for the present day, such as apostles and prophets. But he gives evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. I think you and I would be concerned in our lives if we had children or grandchildren and they weren't growing no matter what you fed them. They stayed the same size. Maybe you've never heard this before from a pastor, but I think it's important for you to understand when, when, when a pastor or, or a teacher of God's word stands in front of his people and he doesn't see growth sometimes in the lives of certain individuals, it's very painful because we consider that person to be anemic. You see, you and I are tasked with the responsibility of growing. And if we are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the book of 1 John says that you will grow. You can't claim to have been a, a follower of Christ for the last 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years and not change from where you were before you got saved. The Bible is clear that if you are a follower of Christ, you will grow. You won't be drinking milk for the rest of your Christian life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The word sincere there is very simply means without wax, without any kind of additives. Anybody here ever been to Europe? Okay, you will know that the food in Europe is a lot different than it is here in America. Here you have, you look at the back of the ingredients and it says nothing additive, no preservatives, no nothing and then you get down to the very, very small print that requires a, a molecular microscope to be able to read what's actually in there. And there's like 235 ingredients in that jar of orange juice, right? Well, in Europe, it's different because in the EU, it's actually banned. You can't have additives in your food or in your drinks. And what a difference it makes to be able to have something that is natural. This is what Paul is, or what Peter is talking about in 1 Peter 2.2. 2. He says, desire the sincere milk of the word, the stuff that doesn't have any additives. You want to know the best way to grow in Christ? Don't go down to the local Christian bookstore. Just pick this up. God will show you and reveal to you everything that you could possibly need to know about him and his word. It's found right here. Now, if you want to hear him audibly, YouTube is a great app to be able to do that because then you can hear the Bible being read aloud because that's the only way that God is going to speak to you in this day and age. He's not going to speak to you in dreams or visions or a 900 foot Jesus at the end of your bed like Oral Roberts did. And I'm not trying to be facetious in any way. I'm simply sharing with you that for 2,000 years, God has ordained through his word that his church would grow. And it's going to grow through reading his word. You want to know more about Jesus Christ? Read the scriptures. 
You want to know more about the sovereignty of God? Read the scriptures. You can start in any book of the Bible. You can start from Genesis and go 66 books, 39 in the old, 27 in the new, and you can get to the end of Revelation and you will find the same God. We looked at this on Thursday night with the men's meeting. Brother Jeff brought this and shared this with us and we've been talking with Gabe as well. You will find the same God who created the heavens and the earth. Read Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and you will see the wonder of a Savior who loved you. You will see the wonder of the Savior who not only by his own strength created the world, but keeps it in check and makes sure that he, when he made atonement for sin, sat down at the right hand of the Father, and as Philippians 2 says, that God has given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow. A believer's role as a servant. Romans chapter 15, verse 25. At present, Paul writes to the church at Rome, however, I'm in Rome, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. Now, because we are live streaming this morning, I can't talk about the country that this money is going to, but what a blessing is ours to be able to help brothers and sisters in Christ, brothers and sisters that you and I will probably never meet this side of eternity, but we are able to help them. Part of the work of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says, for they, in verse 3 and 4, so they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Every dollar, every quarter, every dime goes for the relief of saints. What an awesome responsibility. I've shared this with some of you before, but I want to show you something. Years ago, when my wife and I were doing missions work, we went into a church, and this happened two different times. We went into a church, and this little girl came up the first time, and I was preaching on missions. And this little girl told her mom that she wanted to do what she could. So she asked her mom to open up her piggy bank, and they came to church, and she gave me this dime. I've been carrying this dime for over 20 years as a reminder that somebody gave everything they had. It actually happened twice. Every wallet that I've had, that's the first thing I transfer when I get a new wallet. I put these two dimes in the pocket so that I remember what it means for some people to be able to sacrifice. These dear brothers and sisters that we're serving, they're not going to know your name. They may not even know the name of our church. But there is one person who's keeping track, and that's God. And he's the one that knows. We find also that any act of obedience could be called service to Christ. 1 Corinthians 12.5, we mentioned this at the beginning, speaks of various diakonia or ministries. And all believers are to be involved in service. Thus, in a sense, you could say that all are deacons or all are ministers. We, we, have, we have this 
grandiose ideas sometimes within churches because we give people titles or we give them particular offices. Instead, what we should be saying is, are you and I a servant of Jesus Christ? How are we serving? You know, one of the things that I appreciate, and I'm going to brag on you guys for just a minute. When we were in England pastoring our first church over there, we used to have dinners just like we do here. We would have a men's meeting. I would get up on a Saturday morning for the five years that we were there, and I would get up and I'd go to the church. I'd make sure I had all the groceries bought. I would cook the food. The men would finally show up at about five minutes till the men's breakfast was to start. And then they would leave and I would spend after the service or after our men's breakfast ended about nine o'clock. And I would spend the next hour and a half cleaning up everything, cleaning the kitchen, mopping the floor. During the five years that we were there, I never had one man stay to help. Five years. And that's not to pat me on the back. It's to share with you what I rejoice in seeing when I go downstairs after a lunch or after a men's breakfast. And there are men who are in there or ladies who are in there and you're washing dishes. So thank you. I appreciate that. That means a lot. Whether we're giving stuff out as far as putting bags out on the doors, there are people that are helping. I'm thankful for that. When we were in England, we put out just over 100,000 pieces of literature through individual door slots. Everybody in England, they have their mailbox in their door. 100,000 pieces of literature over five years. Never had one visitor. And neither did we have anybody from the church ever show up to help. We have asked for help here, and it's just like some of you come out of the woodwork. Again, thank you. That's an encouragement to anybody who is serving in ministry to know that people care enough that we will do whatever it takes to get the job done. It could be somebody coming and mowing the lawn. It could be somebody sweeping the sidewalk. It could be it could be wiping the tables down after a lunch. If that's what you're doing, thank you. Don't do it for me. Don't do it for anybody else. Do it for Jesus Christ. First Corinthians chapter 12, listen to verse four through seven. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Listen to Strzok again on church shepherds and elders or deacons. Church shepherds today desperately need deacons to relieve them from the many practical care needs that are essential to shepherding a flock so that the shepherds can attend more fully to teaching, guarding, and leading the whole flock. Yet, with such a solemn task, we must be careful as a church not to lay hands suddenly on any man. 
In other words, the man must not just be able to do the job of deacon, but is showing or has shown to this congregation that they are already doing the task that is ahead of them. This requires faithful examination, not because a man is popular or rich, has a great career, or for any other reason other than that he is acting and knows how to respond in a biblical manner in all types of situations that occur in the body of Christ. Deacons are not equal to elders, but they form a separate complementary ministry to the elders of a church. What a beautiful picture to be able to see men who are working together, holding hands, as it were, for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think, think about our brother who was here last week. He can't preach where he goes, but he can teach, he can share his testimony. We can go down, may not be able to speak the language, but we can share if you have never been to the mission field, I encourage you to go because there is nothing like going to a country that you can't speak a word of the language. You're not even sure why you're even there, but God opens a door for you to be able to go and those people come up to you when your trip is done, wrap their arms around you and have somebody translate, thank you for just being here. Thank you for loving me enough to be willing to come and encourage us. Why are the poor and needy so important? Poor and needy could be this bucket, could be somebody here. We in America really don't understand what a lot of churches go through. Churches in Ukraine, for example, churches in, in Russia, churches in places like China where it is estimated that there are something like 100,000 new believers every year that come to faith in Christ. We don't know what it's like to be caught up in North Korea, for example, and your little two-year-old finds a page of a Bible and says, now all of your family, you and your parents and your brothers and sisters and your grandparents are all put into a prison of war or a prisoner camp for the rest of your natural life because you found a page of a Bible. We can't comprehend that, but God can. And even if we can't get money to all of those believers and all those brothers and sisters, we can pray for them. This is why for the last two and a half years that I've been the pastor here, we have prayed for countries around the world and will continue to do so. Our final verse this morning, James chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the role of a deacon. It's the role of an elder. It's your role and mine. Care for one another. Some of you, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but we've got people who are sitting here this morning, and the reason that they came is because they found a family. They found a family unit that was willing to come up and welcome you as a stranger into this church. I've been there. 
Many of you have been there. You know what it's like to go to a church and maybe be there for weeks or months and nobody even knows your name. That's never a good thing. You know, we get to heaven, we're going to be together with brothers and sisters from all over the world. And I believe that God is going to allow us to know who they are. We will know them and we will greet them by name. We should be working on doing that here as well until he returns. Amen. Let's serve together. Rejoice together. Even at times to raise holy hands together. But above all, as we say in raising hands, that we are giving praise to our God. It's one of the reasons why one of my favorite hymns, praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. All my, oh, my soul, praise him for he is my rock, my salvation. Praise him today. He's coming back for us. If you're a believer this morning, he's coming back for you. If you're not a believer this morning, you can know today that he is coming back and you can have assurance in your heart that he died for you and he has made a way possible for you to know Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. Amen. Let's pray. It's not the kind of message, Lord, that we would normally look to bring. But I'm thankful that there are servants within the church. There are servants here at Yellowstone Baptist Church. We all have probably heard the statistics that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. and But yet we have an extraordinary number of people who are willing to help, to give. This is one of the most generous congregations that I think that I have ever been privileged to be a part of. I pray that this would continue for your honor and your glory. That we would care not just for others in our midst, but for others who are brothers and sisters in Christ around this world. So that they will know that there are people that love, that care, that pray for them and that help in any way we can. As we've already shared in the message, to whom much is given, much is required and you require much from us. We who are believers who have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to have been brought to the point where we have repented of our sins. You, O Lord, have forgiven us of much. You continue to forgive us day after day, hour after hour when we sin against you. Help us to lift up holy hands to you, to sing praise to the Lord, the Almighty. We ask this because Jesus Christ alone is worthy of our praise. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.